Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Luke 18 is where we'll be reading this morning. Uh, If you would all stand, we'll be reading Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1, says, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? Father, I pray that you would help us now as we seek to understand and apply your words to us today. Give us insight, give us wisdom, and help us to rightly handle Scripture and uh, to be encouraged in in each one of our lives as we pray to you and as we pray expectantly. In the name of Christ we pray this. Amen. If you have been here for a while, uh, you hopefully have noticed that we are a Bible-centered church. Our our services are uh, overwhelmingly focused on the study of Scripture line by line, uh, working our way as we are here through books of the Bible. Uh, This past week, my wife started uh, the ladies' meeting, and her very first lesson was on how to study the Bible. It's not an accident. Uh, That is an intentional focus that we have here. Uh, We want to learn how to carefully study Scripture in order that we might properly interpret Scripture and thus rightly apply Scripture to our lives. And if you get something wrong in that order, you really get messed up. If you misinterpret it or if you don't study it properly, then you apply it wrongly. And so uh, we try to be very careful and diligent as we study God's Word. Uh, That's why every week you will not hear me stand up here and read a verse or two at the beginning of the sermon, followed by some stories and inspirational thoughts. Uh, You will not hear me do that because I believe that the power is in the Word of God to transform our lives and that by studying Scripture... Uh, we learn and grow spiritually. And uh, incidentally, if you're looking for a church to join in the future, this is a pretty good starting point, in my opinion. Are the sermons just preachers' opinions with a little scripture sprinkled throughout, or are the sermons based on scripture, walking through texts of the Bible? That's a pretty good criteria to start with. Uh, this morning's text will be a very good example for us on how to study scripture carefully. And I consider it to be uh, a big part of my job as a pastor to teach you how to study the Bible. I hope that as you come here week after week and uh, hear me preach through the Bible, you will better understand how to read the Bible on your own. Uh, That is the goal here. It's not just that you would come here and listen to me talk for uh, once a week. It's that you would learn how to study Scripture yourselves. And so we're going to begin in Luke 18, verse 1, where Luke tells us that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, this is a very helpful introduction. Uh, Some of Jesus' parables, as you know, are quite tricky to sort out. 
uh, what he's trying to teach or what he's trying to get across. Uh, but here we don't have to guess. Luke gives it to us right at the outset. This is what Jesus is going to be teaching before he even gets into the parable. And so whatever follows from here is going to be to the effect that we would pray and not lose heart, not be discouraged. Okay, this parable is given by Jesus as an encouragement to pray. So however we interpret this parable and the particular parts of it, uh, we better end up at, with this as our conclusion. In other words, uh, if you understand this parable in a way <clears throat> that does not lead you to be encouraged to pray and not lose heart, if you don't walk away with that sense of comfort and encouragement, then we've misunderstood something in the parable. Okay, this is Jesus' stated point at the very beginning. Okay, file that away. We'll come back to it later. Also, notice there in verse 1, Jesus says to them, uh, sorry, he says this to them. And we immediately, as good Bible students, ought to be asking, who is the them? Who is he talking to? Uh, you glance back to the previous chapter, verse 22, you'll find out Jesus is in a conversation with his disciples. <clears throat> okay, so this is not talking to uh, you know, the Pharisees or the, the religious leaders or just a mixed group. No, he's talking to his, his followers, uh, the devoted ones who have given their lives to follow Christ. And this is a continuation of that conversation. He is still addressing this parable to his disciples. And so we know to whom Jesus is speaking. We know what his point is that he's trying to get across. Now we're ready to jump into the parable. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And here we're introduced to the first character, a judge. This would be a, a civil judge, one who would settle disputes between people. Think Judge Judy. Okay, we're not talking about like Supreme Court or anything. This is somebody that if you had a dispute with somebody else that ripped you off or wronged you in some way, you would go to him and he would settle it. Uh, things were different back then than what we live in today. There weren't all of these written and codified laws uh, about specific scenarios. In those days, if somebody stole from you or ripped you off or hurt you in some way, you would both be brought, you, you would bring your case before the judge and he would hear the case and make a decision. It was really up to him uh, whether or not you would receive justice for the offense. And with that kind of system, there's really only two ways that you could have a good judge. Okay, the first is if the judge feared God. If the judge was a follower of the true God and read scriptures, then he would be inclined to adjudicate these cases in a fair and just way because that's what God requires of such people in these positions. And so if he were trying to please God, uh, that would make for a pretty decent judge. That would cause him to be fair and just in his rulings. Uh, there's another way a judge could be a good and fair judge, and that is if he cared about people. Okay, so maybe the judge is an atheist. He has you know, zero concern for God or doesn't even believe in God. But if he at least cared about people uh, and wanted to help out whoever had been wronged and wanted to right the injustice that was brought before him, then he could be a pretty decent judge. Uh, but this judge, Jesus says, neither feared God nor cared about people. He wasn't trying to please God. He didn't care what God thought about how he did his job. And he wasn't trying to be fair and just to those who were being mistreated. In other words, he didn't care about justice. This judge simply looked out for his own interests. And so such a judge would be likely to take bribes and to help out people who could help him out in return. In other words, this is a corrupt judge. Hence why Jesus refers to him later in the parable as the unrighteous judge. He was corrupt. He was not an honest judge trying to bring about justice to the oppressed. He was uncaring and unethical. Verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, 
Give me justice against my adversary. And here we are introduced to the second character in the story, a widow. Uh, widows in those days were the poorest and often most helpless people in society. Again, it's not like today where widows might have an insurance policy on their husband who died, uh, or at least they could go fairly easily in America and pick up a job. Such was not the case in those days. If you were a woman, you really did not have very many options for work. And so if you were unmarried, it was a difficult and hard life. This is one of the unique features of the Bible. As you see throughout Scripture, God's concern for widows and for orphans. Those are kind of the two groups that God continually says in the Old and New Testament, uh, look out for them. You know, these are the oppressed in society. Give to them, visit them, treat them well, provide for them. This is a major emphasis of the Bible because these groups of people tended to be oppressed and ignored in that society. And so this widow comes needing help from the judge. Someone had wronged her in some way, perhaps taken advantage of her financially. And so she brings her case to this corrupt judge. Now, we've already said this judge doesn't care uh, what God thinks, and he doesn't care about people's needs. And so it's no surprise to us that when the widow comes asking for justice, he just ignores her. He blows her off. Uh, she has nothing to offer him in terms of a bribe or a benefit. And that's all he cares about. If it isn't in his interest to help somebody like her, he's not going to do it. And so he ignores her requests for justice. He won't give her the time of day. But notice it says she kept coming. Uh, she came once and was ignored. And so she shows up the next day and the next day and the next day. And she just keeps coming over and over and saying, help me with this case. Verse four, for a while, it says he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, after she just kept coming and coming and coming, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And so in the end, the judge gives her what she asked for, even though she had nothing to offer him. And even though he didn't care about her, had no concern about doing the right thing. None of that was his motivation. His motivation to help her was annoyance. He was sick of her coming to him over and over and pestering him. So he finally says, I'm just going to give her justice to get rid of her. Okay, and here's where we need to be very careful because we know this parable is told by Jesus to encourage us to pray. So we know there's a connection here. Okay, and what's easy to do and what I've seen so many well-meaning Christians do is you stop at this point and you draw the application something like this. God is like an uncaring judge. When you pray to God, he won't answer the first time. So you have to keep asking and asking over and over until eventually he gives in. And that's the conclusion that many people draw from this story, that we have to persist in prayer. Just keep asking like this widow a million times until you annoy God enough, and he finally gives in and grants your request. And I, I hope that as I'm saying that, there's something inside of you that's saying that cannot be uh, the point of this. God does, God is not like that. God does not sit back and count how many times you prayed for something and then grant the request on the, the 300th time because you've worn him down. And yet that is so often how this parable is interpreted. The problem is that we're reading the parable as a comparison when Jesus meant it as a contrast. The point of the story is not that Jesus is like this unrighteous judge that doesn't care about people. The point is that God is not like that. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So the idea that this parable is about 
persevering in prayer and just keep asking and asking and eventually God will give you what you're praying for. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus is intending to convey here. He's not saying this is what God is like. You have to keep bugging him until he, he gives in. No, he's saying God isn't like that. He's not going to delay long when you ask him for something. He's going to give justice speedily. It's always bad to misinterpret the Bible, but it's especially bad when your interpretation is the exact opposite of what is intended by the passage. And yet this is so often how the parable is understood. The judge had to be, had to be pestered until he finally yielded. Uh, God is not like that. Jesus says God will respond speedily. He won't delay in answering the prayers of his chosen ones the way that this judge delayed. So this is a contrast, not a comparison. We might call this parable a how much more teaching of Jesus. This is something he does quite regularly throughout the Gospels. Let me show you a few examples of what I mean, and uh, then we'll come back to our text. And at first, this will appear like it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, uh, but hang with me. Matthew 12, Jesus enters a synagogue, and it says there that there was a man with a withered hand. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? This is the Pharisees asking, hey, isn't it a violation to heal on the Sabbath day? And so Jesus says to them in verse 11, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Uh, he, he's responding there, uh, pointing out an exception that they had made. So you, I told you this before, when the Pharisees, you know, they were very strict about Sabbath observance. You couldn't do the, you know, you couldn't pick up a pen. You couldn't do all sorts of ridiculous things, but they had made exceptions. Uh, if your animal fell in a pit, well, you could help the animal out on the Sabbath. Technically, you're not supposed to lead an animal on the Sabbath day. That was considered working. Uh, but if the animal had fallen into a pit, they said, well, that's cruel. You, you can't leave it there until the next day. Go ahead and help the, the animal out. And so Jesus says in verse 12, if you make that exception of how much more value is a man than a sheep. And so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see what he's doing there. He's saying if it's acceptable Okay, to help a sheep out on the Sabbath that's fallen into a pit. How much more appropriate would it be for me to help a person out? I mean, people are of far more value than animals. So this person with a withered hand is perfectly just and right for me to heal him on the Sabbath. And so there's the how much more comparison. If this is okay to help out a sheep, how much more is it acceptable to help out this person? Luke 12, another example, totally different teaching here, but the same sort of principle he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither, neither sow nor reap. Uh, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Okay, so Jesus is telling his disciples to trust in God's provision. And here's his argument. If God provides food for the birds, how much more will he provide for you? You're of far more value than ravens, and yet God provides for them and meets their needs. And so, of course, God is going to provide for you. Again, you see the how much more teaching of Jesus. He says, if he does this, of course he's going to do this. Matthew 7, we'll go to this one. This will be the last one. This one relates specifically to the subject of prayer. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will it give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, uh, good things to those who ask him? 
Again, the point is clear. He says, if you sinful fathers of this earth give your children what is good for them when they ask, you take care of their needs, how much more will God do the same for his children? Uh, you might be a good father, but you're not God. God is perfect and loving. He knows what is best. He knows what we need. And so if you take good care of your kids, how much more will God care for his children? And so these are the how much more teachings of Jesus. And I think something similar is going on here in Luke 18. When Jesus draws the conclusion of this parable, he says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? So he's saying, if this unrighteous judge gives justice to the widow in need, even though he doesn't care about her, how much more will God give justice to his elect who call out to him? God does care about you. He's not like this judge. God does want what is best for you. And he will not delay in giving it like this judge who only gave in to get rid of the widow. Verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So let's go back to verse 1 now, remind ourselves of the point of this parable. At the very beginning, Luke said that he told this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is the effect that the parable should have on you as if you're properly understanding it. It should encourage you to pray and not be discouraged in prayer. If the point was you have to ask over and over and wear God down to get what you pray for, in my opinion, that would be very discouraging. Uh, that would cause me to lose heart. But our God is not like that. He responds speedily. God is our Father who wants what is good for us. And when we pray for things that align with His will for us, He will respond quickly. And so this should have the effect of us always praying and not losing heart. The way that our God is favorably inclined toward us should lead us to pray all the time. That's, that's the word always there. It means at all times, on every occasion, Throughout your day, prayer should be natural and a regular practice because you know that you have an almighty God who is waiting and ready to respond to your prayers. And if we actually believe that, that should be an encouragement to us to pray more often about more things and not to just give up praying because we feel like it's hopeless. The fact that our loving God wants to help us and doesn't delay in answering, this should be an encouragement to us as we pray. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and, and your minds in Christ Jesus. This describes what should be the prayer life of every follower of Jesus. Don't worry about things. Don't be anxious about them. Instead, bring everything in prayer to God. Let all of your requests be made known to him. Uh, he wants us to come to him. He wants us to call out to him. And because we know that his heart of, is one of love toward us, we ought to be quick to pray. Uh, if God was like this uncaring judge, if you thought of God uh, the way that this widow thought of this judge, wouldn't you be hesitant to keep asking? Wouldn't you think, man, I don't know if there's any point in this. And yet Jesus is saying God isn't like that. God cares for us. God wants what is uh, for our ultimate good. And so we come to him, we bring our requests to him, and then Philippians 4 says, the peace of God will fill our hearts. Rest in his answer. You make the request known, and now you trust him. Psalm 116 verse 2 says, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Because God is inclined to us, because God loves us, he's not slow or reluctant to hear and answer the prayers of his children. Knowing the favorable disposition of our Father toward us should lead us to pray. Uh, let's, let's be done with this idea 
of wrestling with God in prayer. You don't have to wrestle because he's not fighting. Okay, God wants us to make our requests known to him, cry out to him, knowing that he hears and will respond speedily. Christian prayer is two things. First, telling God your heart, and then second, trusting his heart. Uh, when we call out to God in prayer and God doesn't give us immediately, at least seemingly, what we've asked for, it's never because he is reluctant or uncaring like the judge. It's never because he's just delaying and waiting for you to ask repeatedly. It's not because we didn't ask hard enough or often enough. If God is not giving you what you've asked for, it's because of one of two reasons. And I think Psalm 8411 describes this quite well. It says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So the first reason... God may not grant a request of ours is that last part, if we're not walking uprightly. The Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. And even as followers of Jesus, if we have unrepentant, unconfessed sin in our hearts, that will separate us from God, that he will not hear our prayers. But if we are, are walking uprightly before God, there's another reason that God may not answer your prayer. And I think it's that word good there in verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It may be that you've prayed for something that God knows isn't best for you. Uh, Paul experienced this kind of frustration to unanswered prayer in 2 Corinthians 12 when he writes, uh, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And so Paul, of course, you know, writes, uh, 12 or 13, depending on how you count them, books of the Bible. There's debate about whether or not he wrote Hebrews. Uh, but either way, he writes much scripture in the New Testament, right? He's a well-known apostle. And so he says, uh, this could very easily cause me to become prideful and conceited because of the way that God's used me to write so much of, of scripture and to be a key apostle in the New Testament. And so God gave him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what this was. Uh, seems to have been some sort of physical problem in order to keep him humble. And so verse 8 says, three times Paul pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And then the fourth time, God finally took it from him. Nope, <laughs> that's not what happens. Verse 9, instead, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul comes pleading with God on three occasions, take away this thorn in my flesh. And God says, no, I've given that to you, and it's actually for your own good. You can't see it now. You're only just frustrated with it, but I'm doing something through this. And so prayer is telling God our heart and then trusting his heart. Make your requests known to God and then rest in the character of God to respond with whatever he knows is best. That's a very different perspective of prayer than just keep asking over and over until you get what you want from God. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. And that's not how Jesus himself exemplified prayer. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He makes his request known to God the Father, and then he rests in God's heart and trusts that he will do what is best. So when you read Luke 18, don't come away thinking, 
We're like the widow and God is like the judge and you have to annoy him until you get what you want. That is the opposite of what Jesus is trying to convey. God is not like the unjust judge. And let me also point out, we aren't like the random widow who's annoying him. God is our good and gracious father and we are his chosen and adopted children. I think that's why Jesus mentions there in verse 7, God's elect. He says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? We aren't random people to God like this widow was to this judge. We are his chosen ones. We are those that God has adopted to himself. Your view of God will have a huge impact on whether or not you pray to him. And perhaps even more consequential is how you understand he, how you think that he views you. In other words, if you think God just views you as another random human, uh, one of you know millions of people that are asking him for things, instead of as his child that he loves and cares for and provides for, that has a, a, a huge impact on whether or not we will pray. God is our good and gracious father and we are his chosen and adopted children. And that should be an encouragement to us to pray, to not feel hopeless, to not lose heart, to not be discouraged in prayer. God loves us, he chose us, and he will respond to our needs quickly and give us what we need best. He cares for us enough to send his son to die in our place. Will he not also hear and respond to our prayers? Will he not give us what he in his infinite wisdom knows will be for our ultimate good? And so we trust in the heart of our Father and we call out to him. He isn't a reluctant or uncaring judge. You don't have to keep bothering him until he gives in. No, God is our good and gracious Father, and we are his chosen and adopted children. And so we pray to him with expectation and with trust. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com. Or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.